That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC talk radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of HIAC Talk Radio, right here on the HIAC Talk Radio Network professional wrestling podcast since 2012 formed by dean dixon and myself now starring myself and craig lagrons i'm at dan low 83 he is at craig lagrons it's real real hard to find us well don't find us just follow us i don't you know, find us but uh welcome everyone we have a uh, we <laughs> we recorded a day early last week <laughs> and we should know that every time we do that craig something bad happens yep and uh Thankfully, nobody died this time. Uh, although I think we did have a, a, a death. Uh, we did have uh, a death. I'll bring, we, I think uh, I'll let you handle it. I think you and I okay. are on the same page, so I'm not going to bring it up. I'll let you do it. Um, yeah. My Canadian friend told me about that one. I was like, we were just talking about it. Yeah. But uh, this wasn't deaths. This was more WWE releases. And I think I read the number this year of staff total release. The WWE is 70 in this calendar year. And um, I, it's hard to, it's hard to say, cause we kind of talked about this one guy already. Yeah. I, I don't even, I, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to say this. I don't even know how to put this cause it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Um, but every time there's these releases, we are mind boggled, gobsmacked, uh, yeah. speechless, don't know what to say about these releases. And here we are again, And it's more than it was the previous three times since COVID. And the two that I'm going to focus on first of these releases is Keith Lee and me and Yim. Yeah. And I know it's a cliche at this point with wrestling companies, but I'm going to say it. How can you fuck that up? Unbelievably irresponsible to drop the buy. I'm using the word irresponsible. Even for a guy like Vince or whoever, Nick Khan, whoever the fuck's in charge. By the way, it wasn't Triple H. Everybody's calling for Triple H. No, I don't no, know if no, you know it. Triple H has been in, like recovering at home from a heart thing. It ain't Triple yeah. H. No. How you bungle. Keith Lee, I, I again, I, I'm trying to form words and I can't, Greg. It's really. You know, and you, you, your two are Keith Lee and Mia. Yeah, man, for good reason. My two that I can't believe are Karrion Cross and Scarlet, because if you're ever, if anyone has ever been a, a a Vince McMahon type of wrestler, you know, you know how he's focused on the big guys, which you know, which is mind-boggling. Well, you would let a uh, one with the athleticism of Keith Lee go, but you have Karrion Cross who has the body that Vince likes, the size that Vince likes, the look, the facial that Vince likes. Has an incredibly beautiful wife, hot and Vince likes that Vince likes all of this in your lap. And instead, when you call him up, you make you put an SM demolition light costume on him. 
you know, have him beat within two minutes with, with a against a you know might be Hall of Famer one day, but Jeff Hardy. But why would you kill him right off the bat and then you give him a stupid outfit? You don't ever put him with Charlotte. The thing that makes Karrion Cross, you know, um, a, a Vince type wrestler, and you you get rid of him too. Um, none of it makes sense. And why Triple H was was uh, trending on Twitter because it seemed like all the the guys that Triple H either brought into the NXT or groomed in NXT or were his guys were all let go. Um, obviously, it wasn't a move despite him. Um, all these mass cuts that I had no idea had been up to seventy. I still think is is uh, because of an upcoming sale coming up. But if, if you weren't convinced the, the case, first four times, how can yeah. you not be convinced now? But if that is still the case, why wouldn't you keep these guys? If, if a sale was coming and you need to get, why wouldn't you keep the ones that can make you the most money going forward? Namely a Keith Lee, Mia Yim, and a Karrion Cross and Scarlet. Um, uh, among others that uh, they oh, let go. Your Highness. Yes. Sorry. Um, no, no, appearance. don't say sorry. Your Highness Appear- is here. I was, I was bowing down yeah, too. I was bowing down there. Yes, yeah, appearance fee in full effect. Um, Thank you. She's not winking at you, folks. That is her ass. Yes, that is a balloon knot, everybody. Oh, great. Sorry. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber. And there we are. Um, yeah, this was a thorough house cleaning. It seemed. Um, it made news all across, you know, just mainstream news, just for the amount of uh, bodies that were taken out. And, you know, this is all, it, the, the buck start, stops with Vince, but you have a, a near 80-year-old um, person who's, uh, and you can see an evidence in the NXT show, if you call it, if you even want to call it wrestling, it just looks like a bad uh, late 80s, 90s uh, WWF Saturday afternoon wrestling challenge show with stupid skits, stupid gimmicks, um, just really dumb stuff that, you know, and they're, we're all at the whim of of uh, Johnny Ace and Bruce Pritchard because they all think, they all put on TV what they think Vince will like. Not so much as what is good. And there was even a, a report that came out um, from one of the wrestlers that were just released. And it wasn't, it wasn't Nia Jax, who was, who was a big one. Uh, but somebody said to them when they were talking about the writers, and the writer shot back at this wrestler and said, this is not a wrestling show. We're not doing a wrestling show. So that's all you need to know about the state of the WWE. And for what I understand about Nia Jax, who was a big, you know, another big name that was released, her issue may not have been the budgetary so much as her refusal to get vaccinated. Yeah, there there are a couple on that list that apparently mm-hmm. were refusing the, the vaccine mandate by headquarters, not a state, not a county, not a that was headquarters from on high Connecticut yeah. or wherever the hell they are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that put that down there and uh, all of those that like to use the employee uh, excuse for an employer employer excuse for the employee to do their damn job 
uh, <laughs> here we are. Yeah. But I, I just, it's confusing. It's got to be a sale thing because it's confusing to watch this and see that you're at a suppo- you're supposedly at a ratings war. Right. And you're taking all of your talent that you could use as the indie wrestling darlings to get those said ratings mm-hmm. and releasing them all. So I, I'm, I'm at a loss. I'm at a complete loss. For, uh, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know either. Uh, I obviously feel bad for the people that were let go, especially the ones that have been with the company for a, a, a while and the ones that are big names in the company and the ones that never got to prove themselves in the company, uh, a la Keith Lee and, and Karrion Cross. Um, but the good news is there is other places for them to go. It wasn't like it was 10 years ago when there really was that your options were limited. True. Um, uh, now, but now it's just a, a question of where they will end up and how they will end up and would it be the best possible spot for them. Obviously, the first and the WWE wouldn't say it's a ratings war, Dan. I know you said it's a ratings I, war. Well, I said supposed. Yeah, but they don't see themselves as in competition with anything. And, I, and honestly, if you look at the ratings of both shows, I of the WWE and AEW, there's not much competition anyway because absolutely no one is watching professional wrestling, save for people that do podcasts like you and I. Um, but uh, you really find something else to do with my time. Yeah, if only there was another sport or something video game related that you could talk about. Uh, no. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing there's no movies coming out. Uh, Whatever you talk, there's nothing coming. There's I have nothing going on next week. I know what you could do. <laughs> Purple, god damn it. <laughs> Purple said, I know what you could do to occupy your time. I don't think I have enough time for that. No, that'd be an HMP. HMP, oh, not a podcast copyright. Craig Lagans. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know where these people were. These people were. Uh, these, <laughs> these, people. these people? What do you mean, these people? Um, there, we're coming so from many, Craig. Yeah. There's so many. Uh, out there, though, um, where they will land will be the next big thing. Obviously, you would think the bigger names would go to the bigger company, namely AEW. Um, you would think that. Yeah, Keith Lee's name is Keith Lee, so as long as he doesn't take the Bearcat name with him, I think he'll be fine. Uh, you could take you could take the Bearcat name and shove it directly up your ass. Whoever yeah. whoever did that, you just shove it up your ass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Carrie uh, and Cross will have a future in professional wrestling. And you uh, can shove that helmet and cape directly yeah. up your ass. Same thing with his wife, with with Scarlett. Um, they're a whole other I mean, podcast. Better at Carrie. I mean, Carrie Cross and Scarlett. I'm not, and you know, just like I call uh, MJF another Roddy Piper or the next Roddy Piper. Carrie Cross and Scarlett. That's your macho Elizabeth. Uh, not that same dynamic, but that monster cool looking heel that can work and a woman that can draw you just as many male fans because of, you know, of, of what she can do. And she, you know, can or can't get involved in the matches and you can have, you have a killer, um, 
an amazing heel combo between those two. They will be the closest thing to a Randy and Elizabeth that Vince was enamored with, you know, since he is almost 80 and stuck in the past. <laughs> Randy and Liz, Carrie and Scarlett, that's your Randy and Liz, part two, without the, the you know, the, there's no Hogan to mess that up. And there's no, you know, uh, they have all the earmarks of, of being that amazing um, manager wrestler combo. I, don't, I hate the word manager, but right, no. I think Carrion and, and Scarlett had that had more. They gave off more of a Macho Man Elizabeth vibe than any wrestlers. I re, male female combo I've seen in many, many years. Uh, just because it, Carrion's look, his work in the ring, the way he was using NXT. And again, all this goes to Triple H. You know, um, I would have had a heart attack too if every good thing I created in my company goes up to the main roster and gets treated like absolute shit. Um, starting with, uh, I mean, you can go back to, to FDR and just take it from there or the uh, Viking Raiders and, you know, the Ascension and you know, Samoa uh, Joe version two. Samoa Joe. Um, I mean, Shinsuke. Taz. Yeah, Shinsuke started off strong and then, you know, got, went away real quick. I mean, he's champion, though. I mean, yeah. he's got a championship. Yeah. Not, not that it, you're wrong. I'm just saying at least he has yeah. a championship for but now. It, you, you look at all the guys that Triple H championed and where, what happened to them as soon as they got to the big, to the big show, to the big dance. It's, um, Again, it would have caused me a heart attack too. I give you Keith Lee on a, on a silver platter. Here's your monster baby face, you know, uh, that can move the way he does, that looks the way he does. And he's got grade eight potential. And you could just push him to the moon. Uh, even a match with Brock would be, you know, could, would be box office if you use him correctly, even him and Lashley. Could be box office if he used yeah. it correctly, but no, get, or you know, get him a manager, get him someone that you know, if you don't like him, the less is more talk for him because Keith Lee's got that when he's got the, the look when he's angry, you know, the way he in the NXT, you can make a, a million dollars with him with that look. And if it's just him getting mad, it makes it makes him positive, make him a heel or make or. Get him to a point where he, when he loses it, he's, you know, an unstoppable rage monster. I, there's so much you could have done with, with, with him, um, that they did. They constantly, when we talked about this on the very podcast, how many times, when Keith Lee, from his debut every, at the Royal Rumble, every goddamn time, and then it seems like after the Rumble, nothing went right for Keith Lee. Absolutely nothing to the right to the point where he couldn't even talk about that he had COVID. Because, you know, they didn't, they, why they kept him off TV. It's like, oh, he must have pissed off somebody. And then we finally found out it was because he had a uh, medical issue. I, I don't know. All these, and I, I had the list. Uh, it's disheartening, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is very disheartening. It's disheartening, disappointing, uh, dismaying, disenfranchising, uh, disconsolate, um, Dismembered all the uh, all the disses you can think of for the. I will uh, say this: there's a lot of people that have been wanting Nia Jax gone for a while. Mm-hmm. So I guess congratulations. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, All right, let's look at these yeah. names here. Yeah. Because, well, not only because, and Nia Jax is a perfect example of someone that was there to me is because of her lineage. Because the amount of people that she's hurt, you know, either on purpose or by accident was staggering. And if the, it's one thing if you're hurting underneath talent, but you're hurting your main event talent too, and you're doing it regularly, and she was careless in the ring and, you know, pissed off a lot of people, and you're not getting vaccinated. So I think that she was there because of her, who she was related to. Well, at least she didn't say she was immunized. Immunized. Yeah. Anyway, do you have the list? Okay, so here's the full list. We got Keith Lee, Nia Jack, Karrion Cross, Grand Metalik, Metalik, Lince Dorado, which was very funny because Izzy's dad had something nice to not nice to say about Matt. And Lince was like, uh, we're going to have to discuss this face to face. I'm going to be where you are tomorrow. <laughs> and then Lince ignored it. And then, I mean, uh, uh, Izzy's dad ignored it. And then Lince was like, hey, I'm out front. I just bought my ticket. <laughs> he took a picture of him buying the ticket. And then uh, Izzy's dad kind of posted an apology. And then Lince was like, I'm here. Where are you? And then his account disappeared. It's gone. Like that. Fuck around and found out. Right in front of us. Ava Marie. Okay. Well, uh, BFAB, Brianna Brandy, Harry Smith, who got re signed. We saw him once uh, on, on a YouTube. And he was gone. This is another disheartening thing because, again, he checks all the boxes that Vince likes. Second generation looks good, works good. Um, is, he second or third? is that technically third generation? Technically um, third. Eh, third. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah, third. Yeah. Sisters, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, but 18th again, generation, if it's the Hart family, whatever. Well, you have a built in connection to a Hall of Famer. And he can use his real name. You can call him Davy Boy Jr. I don't know what the Harry was for. You could you could just call him Davy Boy Jr. And again, he, he could but he can do everything. Yeah, I know. He's and he's great. He said, but he was doing nothing. They were they got rid of him, but they were paying him for years to do nothing. I think I saw him wrestle once. I might have been on a NXT um, pay per view and or NXT in, event in London, and that was it. But why are you sitting on this guy? I don't. I don't know. He's he's. It's not like a third. It's not like a David Flair or an Eric Watts. Yeah, I said oh. Eric Watts. Eric Watts sucked. All due exactly. respect to Eric Watts. It's not his fault. He kept getting pushed. He was a fine wrestler, but he was a fine wrestler. Yeah. It's it's not like that. Harry Smith is an amazing wrestler. I've seen it. Yeah. I've we've all seen it. Exactly. And he's got a shoot wrestling background. He can do the, you know, if you make him a tough guy or something. They just they just sat on that guy for years. And that's why they finally got rid of him, but you didn't use him. I'm going to apologize to Eric Watts because that's a horrible example. Eric Watts was a fine wrestler and he is like, for all accounts, a good, I've never heard a mean thing. I didn't Eric Watts. Yeah. Yeah. Never. 
I, that's my bad. What a terrible thing. That's a terrible excuse. We should have just kept it with David Flair because comparing yeah. him to David Flair is still comparing chocolate, a bowl of chocolate ice cream to a bowl of shit. Uh, Eric Watts was a fine wrestler. That, that is an unfair thing. I'm retracting that immediately. Uh, my bad. I'm just a fat guy on a podcast. Uh, Scarlett Boudreaux, Oni Lokerin, uh, Lorkin, or whatever. Beth Busick. Oh, horrible name. Stupid name. Frankie Monet, Ember Moon. Frankie Monet, I really liked. Frankie Monet. Really liked Ember Moon. Yeah. Uh, Mia Yim, Trey Baxter, Jesse Kamiya, uh, Jeet Rama. Zeta, uh, I don't know who that is. Zeta Ramier, Ramier, and Katrina Cortez. Okay. (sighs) I was worried about a lot of these wrestlers after the NXT because I don't know what NXT is still not a bad show. NXT was never really a bad show ever, in my opinion. I mean, especially comparing it to some Raw and SmackDowns the last ten years. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Hey, at least we got Joe Gacy. Uh, yes. Fun of woke culture, I guess. Anyway, yeah, I, yeah, I know that. See, I, and that's another thing. It's got Vince's fire, a fire fingerprints all over it because they want him to be a heel for talking about all this woke stuff, but that's he'd only be a heel to Vince. Yeah, because he's all the stuff that he's he's saying, so he gets over with the, the fans with this stupid you know gimmick, and uh, the, the way he's dressed, um, at least it's still there. So yeah, that's one good thing. Thank you, Philly. Philly Russell Jones. asks, "Do you think?" Hey, Russell, how you doing? Good to see you in the sure. thing again. He's uh, watching on Facebook. Do you think they did? This is uh, I'll post this to Craig. I don't know. Uh, do you think they did all these releases to compete financially with the bigger names of AEW when their contracts are up? Uh, that's a possibility. I still think Russell has a good question. I, I still believe it's for a sale uh, for the company that's going to be sold uh, only because I don't think they're looking at AEW at all under any circumstances. Uh, and if they are, they're not looking at it in terms of what how they can compete with them or deal with them. Um, I just think that's how it is. If Because uh, they obviously weren't weren't worried about losing the amount of talent that they have AEW, namely Brian Danielson and Adam Cole, or even the Hall of Famers that they let go, Big Show, Mark Henry, uh, the rest of them. So I don't think they're they're looking at AEW in any way. Yeah, thank you, Russell, for always watching. Yeah, we appreciate it. Russ has been watching and for watching it. Russell's been watching and Russ has been watching and that's why I get paid the big bucks folks. Um, Craig, it's time for you to take over my friend. I'd love to Dan, because you know, this week in wrestling present has been a tough one, you know, several uh, high-profile professional wrestlers lost their jobs um, or were let go from the company. Um, and, you know, we were just talking about the limited options that they have. Well, uh, back in the day when territories ruled 
the land of professional wrestling, where there's wrestling in all 50 states, where one can go from one territory to another and to another all within the course of a week. You wrestle in front of three to five different organizations in one week in a packed house. Or you could be established in one territory and go to another, maybe change your name, maybe not. But because the territory had never seen you before, you're completely brand new and you can reinvent yourself all over, all over again. You can prevent your, reinvent yourself all over the place. Exactly. You can spread your seed of wrestling talent all over this great land of ours. And that was what was done back in the day when there were uh, titles were called belts, where you can get a title shot not a title opportunity where if you bled a lot, you would be taken to a hospital, not a medical facility. Uh, and this was back when sports entertainment was in fact professional wrestling. Like I said, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the wrestling historian. Now I mentioned before that this has been a big week in wrestling present. It's also been a big week in wrestling past. Uh, namely, we're going to start November 8th, 1975, which is a big day in wrestling history because that was a day, November 8th, 1975, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where Vern Gagne lost the AWA Heavyweight Championship. And some would call an upset at the time, but looking back on it now, we say it was, no, it was not an upset because November 8th, 1975 was the day Nick Bockwinkle won his first world championship and would go on to redefine the AWA and what it meant to be a world champion. And uh, Nick Bockwinkle would hold that belt for another four years straight and would become the longest reigning world champion of any federation for the next 25 years. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle was a, when Nick Bockwinkle became AWA champion and Nick Bockwinkle was seen as a guy that was not was good, but not that good. He was had been uh, world tag team champions with Ray Stevens. Uh, they had been AWA champions for two years, uh, but no one took Nick Bockwinkle seriously as a singles wrestler. But the way Vern ran his AWA, he kept the guys that were loyal to his companies always in the top spot, which is why you had guys like Mad Dog, Vashon, Crusher, Baron Von Raschke on top for years, decades. I mean, did you know in 1984, Crusher and Baron Von Raschke lost the AWA Tag Team Championship to the Road Warriors? No. Crusher and Baron Von Raschke were main event superstars when the Road Warriors, the year the Road Warriors were born. That's how long Vern kept his his guys on top in the grade eight position. So when the Road Warriors beat Baron Von Raschke and Crusher, two guys in their late 50s, it was a big deal. Well, and they Vern didn't kill got, those guys. No, they sold for them because they were a legend. But Nick Bockwinkel's reign as AWA champion redefined uh, what a wrestling champion was because this was in 75. So Nick Bockwinkel was coming out with the big gold belt, bigger than both the NWA and the WWF championship. That was on purpose to see how big the AWA was. They were the number two wrestling organization in the United States. At the time, they covered the NWA covered 33 states, the AWA covered 25. 
uh, and they often crisscrossed uh, each other while the WWF stayed in the Northeast Territory. The AWA and the NWA ran everything else. And Nick Bockwick was the first world champion, other than Buddy Rogers, to come out wearing a suit and talk down to the people that he would be see the humanoids, a uh, word he made famous and then was co-opted by his manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan together would be the most successful wrestler-manager com- wrestler manager combination in all of professional wrestling because the uh, WWF champions and the uh, NWA champion never had a manager. And for the next five years, the Nick Bockwinkle, Harley Race, and Bob Backlund would be your three world champions. But it was Nick Bockwinkle that took the AWA to the to the number two status and would redefine what a world champion is. You see Ric Flair winning, wearing a suit, carrying a gold belt when he finally became champion in 1981. Well, Nick Bockwinkle had been doing that at least 10 years beforehand. So credit to Nick Bockwinkle to, for redefining what a world champion looks like and having a world champion with a manager, something that's commonplace now you see with Paul Heyman. But Nick Bockwinkle, by his title win, November 8, 1975, redefined what a world champion should look like, how we should act, walk, talk, dress, and definitely how we should wrestle. The yearly assignment every time we bring Nick Bockwinkle up, or the, the assignment every time we bring not Nick Bock, Knock Bickwinkle? Knock Bickwinkle? <laughs> Knock Bickwinkle. Nick Bockwinkle up is to look up as much of his interviews and matches as you can and watch them because yeah there's a there's a section in youtube that says nick bockwinkle promos and just click is it on really that. yeah nice Done. click on it and go and what makes it special is nick the champion speaks first and then bobby yes okay which would be the reverse with bobby everywhere else he wrestled with every other manager it would be bobby then his wrestler, but Nick Bockwinkle, world champion, would speak down to the humanoids and then would turn the mic over to Sir Robert of Heenan. And Bobby would take it from there. Again, there has never been a finer wrestler combo, wrestler manager combo in wrestling history than uh, Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan because there was two guys that could talk and could get butts in the seats because people paid through the nose. You see Nick Bockwinkle meet his comeuppance, and it never happened, at least for four straight years. And it started November 8th, 1975, when Nick Bockwinkle won his first AWA Heavyweight Championship. On that same day, November 8th, 2005, in a SmackDown taping in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, in a match against Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy <laughs> would be the final match of my favorite wrestler at the time, Eddie Guerrero. And in a typical Eddie Guerrero bout that's been replayed over and over again, not only because it was Eddie's last match, but it was vintage Eddie. Uh, referee was knocked down. Uh, Eddie smiled to the hard camera, went out, and got himself a chair, and uh, was about to hit 
Kennedy with it, but saw referee Charles Robinson getting up to his feet. So Eddie slammed the chair on the canvas to make the sound, threw the chair to Kennedy, and laid flat on the mat just as Charles Robinson came to, saw Eddie drop and saw the, the chair in Kennedy's hand, called for the bell as Eddie was holding his head, pointing to Kennedy. Kennedy was disqualified. Eddie would win the match and go on to to join the Survivor Series team of, get this, Rey Mysterio, Batista, and Bobby Lashley for his Survivor Series team. Um, After the bout, Kennedy, in a fit of rage, would hit hit Eddie with a chair shot that's since been censored in the uh, WWE um, on the WWE Network and even on YouTube they took it out uh, the chair shot because unfortunately the this bout that uh, took place November 8th uh, 2005 it aired two days before Eddie's death and some even speculated that it was the chair shot that caused uh, his demise and that was not the case what? Uh, Nope. Uh, that's what people thought because uh, it was, and it was a hard chair shot. This is back when chair shots, head shots to the chair were uh, still uh, a thing. Um, but Eddie would die five days after this bout, but this would be his uh, final bout uh, that took place November 8th, 2005, a SmackDown taping in Indianapolis. Uh, which brings us to November 9th. Uh, a very important day in wrestling history. And uh, you know what I'm going to say, Dan. I'm talking, of course, about November 9th, 1956. When <laughs> Lu- I do. Lufez, this is a big day. Lufez would defeat Whipper Billy Watson in Toronto, Canada, to win his second NWA championship, a second of seven, which would then be a record, which would stay for a long, long time, um, at least 30 years. But what made this uh, world championship win special, Dan, it was not only because it would be the second world title for Luthez, but for the next four years, not until uh, the AWA is formed in fall of 1960, with that win, November 9th, 1956, Luthez would be the last universal universally recognized, unified, one world heavyweight wrestling champion. He would be the last man to be the only world champion. This was seven years before the WWF was founded, was started. And I said it'd be four years before the AWA would start. So on this day, November 9th, 1956, Luthez would be would become the world champion and would be the last man to be the only world heavyweight wrestling champion. Wow. Uh yeah. Something. Uh Luthez um would wrestle well into his sixties uh and was the the definition of a shooter, hooker, whatever you want to call it. One of the reasons that Luthez was champion seven times because Couple times, guys didn't want to do business. Lou would go in and get the belt off him because uh, Luthez, you couldn't physically hold his shirt, his shoulders to the mat for three seconds, 
and he was going to make you submit quicker than you were going to make him submit. So Luthez was the uh, definition of a wrestling champion, and he would be the last universal, uh, last unified only world champion in wrestling. And November 9, 1997, in Montreal, Canada, the WWF Survivor Series. That's wow. It. That's it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't need to talk about it anymore. You know, we, we, we obviously, you know, when we talk about dates in wrestling history and uh, obviously when the circle January 23rd, 1984, you know, the beginning of Hulkamania, May 6, 1984, the Ric Flair, Kerry Von Eric, Texas Stadium show, and um, this one. Uh, July 25th, 1996, the formation of the NWO, 25th anniversary this year. But on November 9th, 1997, obviously, a date that changed professional wrestling uh, forever. It's never going to go away. Uh, we're always going to talk about it. And this was, and if, honestly, Dan, it keeps coming up every year. I don't remember the date. It only comes up because on social media, it's brought up and it hits uh, time and time again because no one else uh, can forget it either. And, you know, we've what if and we've speculated. Um, what if Brett hadn't left? What if he didn't sign his contract? Because when this contract, when this match took place, November 9th, 1997, Bret Hart was the WWF heavyweight champion, but he had already signed a contract with WCW. Um, and we talked about that last week on uh, the Wrestling Historian. So uh, this was about that uh, was supposed to get the belt off Brett and uh, Brett didn't want it to go down that way and he was okay with losing the belt not okay losing it to Sean even said at one point I'd lose it to the Brooklyn Brawler um, but just not to Sean and specifically not in Montreal not in Canada not in front of his home not in his hometown and we know now that uh after Vince, Vince Russo, um, God, now I forget his name. Um, wait, wait, say again. Vince, Vince Russo, um, Ed Ferrara, Ed Ferrara. Uh, why am I, Bruce Pritchard? Damn, Bruce Pritchard. I, <laughs> I was trying. I was oh, like, I don't know, fatter white guy with glasses. Can I think of that? I'm not, not going to call him Brother Love. Um, we're all putting their heads together because every scenario that was brought out to Bret Hart, he shot down. Um, he didn't want to do it. And uh, finally, Bret threw up his eye. You guys figure it out. And it was Jim Cornette that we now know who came up with the finish. Well, you figure it out. And Jim did. So it was Jim who suggested that Sean put Brett in his own uh, maneuver, finish maneuver, the sharpshooter that Sean didn't know how to apply. So that way we can ring the bell and we say, well, we can't say that he gave up 
or if he doesn't, then we'll know that it was that it was a work. So that's the best way to get all get the belt off him. And Jim Cornette, after the belt, hightailed out of the arena. It's the only and he saw one car behind him that he thought he was being followed because he thought his life was in danger. Turns out that car behind him was Earl Hebner, the referee. The only guy that he beat out of the arena that night that was quicker than he was. But um I think it's it's funny that it's 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 not even the 25th anniversary and we're like (sighs) you know it's just one of these things it's one of those things where it's just at this point even in 2021 is uh it's a it's a thing that just happened yeah it was the catalyst for so many things arguably it was the catalyst for the downfall of wcw uh, in the long run and the rise of the wwf in so many easy terms yeah but you know there's so many variables about the whole thing i i I don't even you know the further you get away from it, you're like, you could have lost in Canada, but I, at the same time, I totally get standing up to the promoter who's Pete, who was, who was trying to screw you. Like he, he was like, I know people are like, well, Bret Hart's a whiny, but no, not, I mean, not this time. This one is, I, you know, I totally get it. I, I totally get it, but it, it, you can't glance, but it was a moment in time that, change has is still being affected today the changes are still being felt today not affected felt right right uh now there is guaranteed contracts now uh there is internet if someone signs with another company we're gonna know about it you know this was the it's only to the people that were involved no one knew that bret hart had signed with the wcw no one knew that this was going to be Bret Hart's last match. And even when it came out, you know, there was rumbling that he might be leaving. Uh, well, we don't think we did know that his contract was up or that they didn't renew his, his uh, even though we signed a 10 year deal that uh, it wasn't, you know, being honored, but no one knew that he had already signed a contract with WCW 10 days beforehand. And you know what? I still see both sides. Uh, you can see why they wanted to do business because they, they needed to get the belt off Brett because he was leaving and going to their competition. Um, Sean was, everyone was on Brett's side because Sean was a prick and he was not, you know, well liked outside of the clique because he was a prick. Um, but at the same time, Brett was shooting down every single scenario. He wanted to come out on, to have the double DQ in Montreal and then come out on Raw the next day, say his goodbye, turn the belt over and wish the fans best of luck and have a nice send off and walk off into the sunset. Well, that's great if you're producing a Hallmark movie, but, um, we need you to lose the belt in the ring. You know, it's, uh, I, but I see Brett's 
side because he, here he's been a loyal employee for almost 20 years at that point and done everything that was asked of him. So why not give me this? I'll say goodbye and I'll, I'll tell everyone and I'll put the WWE over. I'll even put Sean over and every, I mean, put him over like in terms of verbally, not going to do it. I guess it ring. depends on the years because, you know, every, every time we talk about it, I'm like, yeah, well, the, the whole title thing, it's like Vince started that. I know people always bring up Nitro and, and, and Medusa and dropping the belt, in the trash can. I'm like, but Vince did it first. And I'm not saying it in the way where well, Vince did it first. I meant the first time. I can remember during the, the war, and I'm talking about before even it was the Monday Night War, was Rick bringing the fucking big gold belt on, uh, was it Superstars or Primetime? Yeah, yeah, Superstars, yeah. And and Brain going, rightfully show, the real world's heavyweight champion. Right. And I think that's brilliant, and I think the trash can bit's brilliant. But yeah. at that point, it was time. It was like tit for tat, man. Mm-hmm. And Vince's paranoia Again, this is at a different time. This is six years after the Ric Flair big gold belt thing where you have you have the Monday Night Wars. So you got Vince thinking rightfully so. I let this man take this belt after I told him I'm not going to pay him now. (laughs) But then you have to take it into account. He's getting paid a lot of money in WCW. So it's not like he needed Vince's money. It's not like he had any. Before the screw job, Brett had nothing bad against Vince. They had a contract dispute. Vince kind of brokered the deal for him to get the damn contract in the first place. We find out yeah. Brett's going to be paid and have a job. Technically worse, like work less dates. Boy, did foreshadowing. Um, yeah. And, and that was it. It's all there in the documentary too. It's not like yeah. he's not going fuck Vince fucking asshole. He's like, I mean, he couldn't pay me. So I went to get another contract and I'm going to through my dates and the other factor is, is we have to remember, all due respect to Borny, you know, Sean is leveled out, I think. Well, it counts. Sean Michaels, self-admittedly, was a fucking prick at this time. And he was being a prick, egging Brett on to the point where Brett's like, well, no, I'm not doing it now. I'll drop the belt the next night. I am not doing it this way. And it's because it's him. Yes. So you got <laughs> Vince's asshole. Yeah. Brad Hart's being a, t- a different type of asshole, but he's right, in my opinion. Then you got Sean in the middle being a complete fucking asshole who's not right at all in that situation. Well, just, you know, Jim, I don't quote Jim Cornette a lot recently because he's Jim Cornette. Um, <laughs> but it was a clusterfucks of all clusterfucks. It really was. There's no way out of that. Nothing anybody did. Would have would have gotten away with it, and the, the 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 glaring thing about taking Jim's idea was that if they would have did it right, nobody would have had an idea. But of course, they didn't do it right, so everybody knew immediately when that bell rang. Like mm-hmm. that mother, that motherfucker did it. He did it. Yeah. Um, and it's like years. You know, I it's weird because I've read Brett's book and. Not that it matters. I kind of had a lesser opinion, not like to like Bret Hart's a scumbag, but mm-hmm. you know, Brett did his share of adultery and yeah, you know, things. But as far on the wrestling level, he's morally higher than most guys. 
Yeah, I, I obviously, I mean, Brett's no saint. And no, like, but he knows, like, and he knows that. Yeah, but as far as like doing business the right way, Bret Hart was a wrestler first, and because of his father and you know the way he was instilled, um, he knew he was all about the business, and you know doing what's right, doing what's best for business, and he thought he was, you know, by vetoing all the the ideas that they had to get the belt off him. And Brett was, like he said, and Brett said over and over again, I would have dropped it to. I would have dropped it to Austin. I would have dropped it to Undertaker. I, well, he said I would have dropped it to the Brooklyn Brawler. Those were his exact words. I would have dropped the the World Heavyweight Championship on my way out. I would have got. I would have let the Brooklyn Brawler pin me. I do not care. I just did not want it to be Sean, and I did not want it to be in Montreal. We could have done it on Raw any way you wanted it, but. Not then, not him, not there. And like I said before, all the wrestlers were on Brett's side because Sean was the prick. But at the same time, you got to do, they wanted him to do business. And out of all the things that came out of that, I mean, obviously Brett got it the worst, even though going to WCW would think they had the, the greatest angle right in their lap and they blew that. Sean became an even bigger prick. Once Brett left, which was incredibly hard to top. Um, but I think the biggest thing to come out of the Montreal screw job, and I always say this because if it hadn't have happened, if Brett had said in hindsight that he would have found a way to stay or would have worked something out, even if it meant leaving the company to get, you know, to not drop the belt to Sean and then coming back at a later date. Um, after Austin beat him or some or rock beat him and then come back. Um, if it were not for the, for this date, November 9th, 1997, we would not have, in my opinion, the greatest heel in WWE history. There would have been no Mr. McMahon. Mr. McMahon. That's, that's the thing. Everybody's got to remember it started there. Brett screwed Brett. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it was there when we find out that, Vince was not just the announcer, the commentator, he owned the company. And smart fans knew that, but casual fans didn't. Well, yeah, I remember even after that, because Kelly uh, Kelly watched wrestling all the time and then kind of fell out of it right at the, the height, well, right at the start of the height of the Monday Night Wars. And then she randomly turned on wrestling one night. Well, she would turn it on to watch Jericho. She discovered Jericho. Was doing that stuff with the Malenko and all the cruiserweight stuff. She watched it for him. And, it, of course, it was the week before um, the Battle Royal, which we right. talk about right. at nauseum yeah. on this show, and rightfully show, in my opinion. My opinions yeah. of Chris Jericho in 2021 aside, that moment's still top 20, uh, top five yeah. in WCW, period. Yeah. And I mean NWA and WCW. I'll stand by that. Yeah, that being said, she remembers turning on Nitro once when – that segment where it just fades in with Bischoff on the bike calling out Vince. I wonder what Vince McMahon is thinking, sending people to talk to Ma. <laughs> and she goes, Why is Eric Bischoff calling out the play by play guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I don't remember not knowing, but I'm sure before, like, that Bret Hart stuff, I have, of course, I had no idea. 
But now I'm so old, I don't remember not knowing he wasn't in charge. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I did know the the extent. I knew after after his dad died in '83. Um, I was and, gonna say, you know, yeah, you had longer exposure. You would have seen other things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and right, especially when uh, when when Hulkamania took off, and uh, when he brokered the deal, when they announced it, when he, he they signed the contract with the NBC with Dick Ebersol, and and they announced the Saturday Night's main event. There was Vince McMahon at the NBC, you know, studios, and it was it was on USA Today and Newsweek, and it's like you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess Vince has a bigger role than just calling the matches play by play. And when you started slowly seeing him not on TV uh, in the 80s, and when they started when they were producing Challenge and Superstars, and there was five hours of, of uh, WWF TV every Saturday, every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and it was um, other and and it was Bobby and Gorilla and L'Oreal Hayes and uh, everyone but Vince doing the commentary. That's when I started to realize, like, oh, maybe Vince has got a hey. hey I thought, oh, he got a raise. Oh, he got a promotion. He's doing well. Somebody gave him a promotion, and that's like, oh, he gave it to himself. That's why he's not on TV anymore. And then he would did the Larry King interview, and that's when I kind of knew that he was the... Ah, uh, this is starting to make sense here. I don't know. It's all coming together. But yeah, I know we talk about it every year, but uh, it, it, we talk about it every year for a reason. And uh, next year for the 25th anniversary, we might dive more in depth i don't know why or how because i think everything has ever been said about this has already been said uh documented heavily not just in wrestling with shadows but in the uh, dark side of the ring the first um uh, episode in the first season of dark side of the ring um very well done we always do the opposite of pop culture so the thing to do next year in the 25th anniversary is Mention it in passing and not saying any sentence after and going anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, speaking of Dark Side of the Ring, did you watch any of these? I am five episodes behind. I'm still in the middle of the Roberts one because that's so goddamn difficult to get through. Yeah. That I have not been able to. I've. I'm. I'm far behind. But you can, if you got to spoil something, go for it. No, I. I wanted to get your. Uh, your thoughts on the Rob Black. Um, episode when you see it. Oh, uh, fuck XPW and Rob Black. I don't even care. Okay. <laughs> and they're back now. All this was was a publicity thing because XPW ran their first show this past week and of course it was met with for him. I mean, you know, there were some yeah. great wrestlers on the show, but yeah. it's like whatever. I didn't even know they were they were back. There was a time where I didn't even know XPW was on TV and then of course it, one night it aired in the ECW slot. Yeah. Then I forgot about it. Uh, and then the DVDs came out. Mm-hmm. It's some of the worst wrestling television I've ever watched in my life. That's saying something. I'm sorry. And I used to be into hardcore wrestling. I, I, I'm one of those guys where I don't watch it anywhere. I don't out of my way to watch it, but I'm not here to slam it because I used to watch it. I just, I don't anymore. I, I don't have the stomach for it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't even know his name. Between the announcers, yeah, on that show, the worst than ECW, not on purpose production. The only the only good thing I got out of that was Big Dick Dudley was the guy. Yeah, I got a kick out of see Big Dick uh, get a uh, unsheathed. <laughs> yeah. 
But no, I, I bought those DVD sets and I actually held on to them for a while, but I was like, I am never going to watch these again. Uh, I, no, I don't. I don't give a shit. Well, but I will you, try to catch up and watch it, and we'll talk about it. Because well, you know, you know, if you're not, if you're not into, uh, I wouldn't. But I, the only thing is, it is the last appearance of New Jack in that. Ah, uh, uh, interview wise. All right, yeah, in that episode. Right, I'll, they, I'll try to get to that. Uh, it was it's day was dedicated to him. The, that episode. Very good. Very good. I'm very. That's very good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what was the last episode because that was the second to last. The XPW was the second to last episode. I'm trying to think what what was the last episode. Um, we, did we talk about Chris? We talked about Chris Canyon, the Chris Canyon episode. We did. Oh yeah, we talked about that yeah. uh, great length. That was the last half of the episode. Uh, I wanted to bring up something that I think you might have forgotten to wrap up this episode. We did have a passing of a wrestler this past we week. We did. We did. Someone that I was uh, very familiar with uh, through the magazines, and I was fortunate enough to watch to see him live uh, on a number of occasions right here at the beautiful air conditioning filled up. Oh, well, you restaurant. saw this guy then? I saw him quite a bit. Um, uh, this guy was one of the, you know, we talk about football players turned wrestlers, and we mentioned Ernie Ladd and Wahoo Daniel and Goldberg for a lesser to the lesser extent uh but this man was a legend in the Canadian Football League um and for this I didn't even know there was a Canadian Football League until this man uh became a wrestler until this man started wrestling um and that his time in the Canadian Football League is so legendary that his uh greatest success always took took him right back to Canada and his popularity never waned throughout his entire career. Uh, but this past week we lost a true legend in professional wrestling and original Angelo King Kong Mosca passed away uh, at the age of uh, 81, I believe. Um, he was an original because I had never seen anyone you know, there have been bigger guys, and been, but what he, 6'4", legit, you know, 280, big head, big hands, big feet. Uh, he had the hair on him. He had the, the perm. And he just had this mean scowl. And one of the guys, a, a true monster heel wherever he went, but was always a face in Canada. And yeah. it didn't matter what federation he went in the AWA, uh, in the NWA in Georgia, he matches against Tommy Rich. Uh, and when he came to the WWF for one uh, one tour, when he against Bob Backlund and he went up against Pedro Morales, that's where I saw him after Spectrum um, go for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, he even uh, had a... Uh, short feud with his old friend Pat Patterson. They were uh, tag team partners in Roar Shire's San Francisco uh, organization. And Angelo Mosca, I said at the top of the wrestling historian segment, wrestling in all 50 states, Angelo Mosca did because he went from territory to territory, you know, picking up belts or just being the, the, the top heel there. Like I said, Georgia, Florida, uh, feud with Dusty Rhodes where he first turned face again. Uh, you mentioned Dan. You 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 derided a little bit of Eric Watts and compared him to David Flair, and immediately and retracted it. 
we retracted it because, folks, if you ever saw Angelo Mosca Jr. wrestle, you would know that Angelo Mosca Jr. made David Flair look like Luthez. Okay. Again, that probably a nice guy. <laughs> Nothing wrong with him, but he was just mm. really bad. It would make made I don't Mike feel Fun- as bad now. Yeah. <laughs> Angelo Mosca Jr. made Mike Van Eric look like Bret Hart. Um he was <laughs> Jesus Christ, Craig. And, I, and there's I'm not knocking Angelo Mosca as a as a guy, but if you saw <laughs> Him rest, now that I I was so he was up for rookie of the year in 1984. He went over Ivan Koloff for the Mid Atlantic Heavyweight Championship. Now I didn't see these matches; I only read about this. So Angelo Mosca Jr. is going to be you know the next big star. He beat Ivan Koloff for the Mid Atlantic Heavyweight Championship, and the Mid Atlantic Heavyweight Title was a big deal. Uh, was held by Eldrick Flair's first title, Ricky Steamboat's first title. Um, Dick Slater had held had held the Tony Atlas. Um, that was Jim Brunzel's only single championship with the Mid-Atlantic title. It was a big deal. So Angelo Mosca Jr. winning it over Ivan Koloff made it even bigger. And he even got a title shot against Ric Flair. But now when you look at Angelo Mosca, now that I got older, like you mentioned, when you see something when you're older, and I realize how incredibly bad Angelo Mosca Jr. was and that he was carried because of the respect that they had for his father uh, was uh, something to behold. But uh, Angelo Mosca Sr., who we're talking about, who we unfortunately lost, um, he was a perennial Canadian heavyweight champion uh, when the NWA had a foothold in Toronto. And and when I've mentioned on the wrestling story many times, when I talk about supercards, the times were an NWA, AWA, and a WWF champion or wrestler all on the same card. Invariably, that would either be Houston, St. Louis, or Toronto. Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens, run by Frank Tunney, um, have some of the biggest cards and some of the biggest matches, and a, a place where you could see end up the NWA champion and the AWA champion. Toronto was where Nick Bockwinkle, the AWA heavyweight champion, took on. Bob Backlund for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. The only time the AWA and the WWF champion were in the same ring together was in Toronto. Well, Angelo Mosca would be the Canadian Heavyweight Champion there many times because he was always a face there. You touched upon how he was also a football legend. I I have a couple of career things here and a trivia a piece of trivia for Craig that he better know the answer to. Um. Obviously, he's a Canadian Football Hall of Famer. Now, yeah. anybody in the States, so who cares about Canadian football has a hell of a following. Calm the hell down. Uh, yeah. And sometimes I think it's a better game and look up the rules to find out why. Um, sometimes. Um, he is a five-time Grey Cup champion. That's their Super Bowl. That's their championship. Yeah. Did it with three different teams. Uh, he was in the all He was a CFL All-Star twice. Uh, East All-Star five times. Again, he's the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, and he was drafted in the NFL. And, Craig, do you know what team drafted Mr. Mosca in the NFL? I want to say the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. He was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in 1959. Yeah. And decided to play Canadian football. Canadian Stay football home and can play Kid, But he was drafted by the Eagles. Eagles. Yeah. Played in Notre Dame. 
mm-hmm. and went home. That's uh, and I did. I just learned that. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. But like the guy, it's what we always thought. He is the Canadian Ernie Ladd because he literally was a football legend, not just a football player. We could say Mongo, but wasn't a great wrestler. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love Mongo. All due respect, I know he's having a rough time now, and I love Mongo, and I loved him talking because he talked so bad, he talked well. Um, not a great wrestler. Ernie Ladd, amazing football player, amazing wrestler. Angela Mosca, amazing football player, amazing legendary wrestler. Yeah. And um, I know Dave will appreciate that we're talking about this right now in front of me. Yes, thank you, Dave. Yeah, uh, yeah, I we do appreciate this, Dave. And well, he's you, from you have Toronto. To appre- you have to appreciate. Toronto. You have to appreciate a wrestler, like and the way that you appreciate Ernie Ladd, who started his wrestling career with a football career's worth of injury. Yeah. So that too. Um, yeah. So um, and whereas with with Mosca, he was a six four guy, and he never went really over 300 pounds. He was always about 280, and but he was always kept a big... He reminded me the closest thing I could see of someone that you can to today's wrestling fan, he was like an abyss type wrestler. He was just always big. Uh, obviously, big, big abyss was bigger, taller, and wider, but just like that type of heel that you could always uh, get... He could always get you heat. And if he turned face it was a big deal when he turned face in Florida, when he teamed up with Dusty Rhodes, because his son was being trained by in the, the angle in Florida, Angela Mosca Jr. was being trained by Barry Windham, who was a face. And Angela Mosca was the number one heel in Florida going up against Dusty Rhodes, Barry Windham's tag team partner. Well, um, Barry Windham was getting uh, beat on by uh Ron Bass and Andrew and Angela Mosca Jr. came in to help his friend Barry Windham, who's been training him. And he just went in to help help uh Barry Windham up. And Ron Bass just started beating on Angela Mosca Jr. Then here comes Angela Mosca into a huge <laughs> crowd and beats the living crap out of Ron Bass. And the fans go nuts. Uh, but he's just here to save his son. But then Barry Windham said, Well, you know let the kids stay and next thing you know Angela Mosca's teaming up with Dusty Rhodes to go up against Ron Bass and Black Bart and he's a baby face and against sold out crowds throughout Florida and he took that to Mid-Atlantic where um, they carried on as, as Mosca as a face but uh, Mosca he would even do commentary for the WWF in Toronto um, yeah uh, not good don't talk about that <laughs> But All due respect. A, oh. Yeah, yeah. He, but he was a perennial Canadian heavyweight champion, and he would, you know, win or lose the bet. He, what Jerry Lawler was to the Southern title title in Tennessee, Angelo Mosca was to the Canadian heavyweight championship in Canada. He would. Angelo Mosca was to Canadian uh, wrestling what Bret Hart later was to Canadian wrestling. Yes, like that. Um, I give you an example: Mosca Mania. Uh, they would have a, an annual Mosca Mania card in in Canada that would sell out. Uh, Jim Cornette talked about the uh, the the only time they sold out. Uh, Jim Cornette, the Midnight Express, and the Rock and Roll Express sold out Charlotte Coliseum. Uh, did a hundred thousand dollar house without Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Road Warriors, the Koloffs. 
because they were all that same day in Toronto for Moscow Mania. And they did 13,000 people there. And that was to, to combat because um, Vince had taken Frank Tunney from the WW to the WWE F. So uh, Jim Crockett took his gang to uh, Toronto for Moscow Mania and sold out there. Took all of his top stars, Flair, like I said, Flair, Dusty, the Road Warriors. Uh, and the Moscow Mania did amazing box office every year. That's where the Road Warriors and Baron Ron Ratchke and Nikita Koloff comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, by the way, not correct. I just want to clarify for uh, Dave and the other Canadian listeners who will listen to the Hamilton, Ontario, not Toronto. Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> Hamilton. Yeah. I just, yes. just, I'm sorry. I'm just reading, I'm reading the card. I just wanted to be clear because I'm going to get DM and I'm trying to avoid the DM, which happened too late after you said it. So I'm still going to get the fucking DM. So, damn it. <laughs> Uh, but we say Angela Mosco is an incredible original, uh, like I said, former champion in every territory he appeared. Never got the world championship, but never needed it. Uh, his his Canadian heavyweight championship range were like the world championship in Canada because every wrestler that came through Canada, Mosca defended the belt. If he dropped it to him, he, he'd pick it up later. You know, Blackjack Mulligan, Hogan, um, Flair. Dino Bravo, uh, all the, the John Studd, and even guys that they were heels that he might have been teaming with as heels in the United States, he would face them in Canada. And because Mosca would be the face, you know, he would team up with super with the mass superstar in Georgia. But when mass superstar came to Canada, he would face him, sell out crowd, and uh, Mosca would be cheered. Uh, constantly he was a canadian legend he was a wrestling legend he's someone who should be in the hall of fame because if you're building a monster heel they gotta look like angela mosca uh the original king kong king kong angela mosca uh will be missed uh like i said he's an original they don't make him like uh him anymore if you want to say i want to be if a if a monster heel said i want to be like angela mosca do that because you'll make a lot of money, you'll get a lot of heat, and you'll get a lot of fans. He won't be released by Nick Khan when it comes time. No. No. Uh, that, Keith Lee. If Keith Lee was a heel, he would be Angelo Mosca. Because he he's got a great look. He's got a great, you know, he could get the fans to hate him. They get the fans to boo him. And he's a and, phenomenal wrestler. He's a phenomenal wrestler. Uh, the the, the uh, angle I remember with... Uh, with Pat Patterson, again, he and Patterson were uh, wrestling with and against each other in, in San Francisco and Roy Shire. Like a bunch of times, right? Yeah. Yeah. But when Pat Patterson was a announcer and to start a feud with Pat Patterson, all you had to do was attack him while he was being an announcer. If what Sergeant Slaughter did, well, in this case, it was um, he... Angelo Mosca would not stop beating on his opponent after he won the match. So the referee reversed the decision. So the the job guy that he was beating up won the match and Mosca was disqualified. And uh, Pat Patterson went to interview the referee, Dick Worley, and said, you did the right thing. I think it is Angelo Mosca is out of control. And Angelo Mosca grabbed the water pitcher from the timekeeper's table and crashed it over the head of Pat Patterson. And the the 
I forget, it might have been George Napolitano who got the picture right as the, the, the picture was going across Patterson's head and the water was going everywhere in slow motion. It just looked amazing, the shot. And then uh, Mosca put the boost to him. But because there was so much water, he slipped while he was kicking. Uh, but And then they showed the close-up on the water pitcher was bent. So Angela really clocked him. And that started a uh, Pat Patterson-Angela Mosca feud. Uh, this is after uh, Mosca had, uh, was unsuccessful in his bid to defeat Bob Backlund for the uh, WWF Heavyweight Championship. Uh, so they kept him around to have a feud with Pat Patterson because they were old friends and they did a ton. They sold that Madison Square Garden, did a ton of business. Uh, Mosca later run on to challenge Pedro Morales for the Intercontinental Championship, but uh, he made the rounds and uh, uh, was just a, a great guy to watch. Um, he, I saw him wrestle Pedro Morales at the Spectrum. And um, again, those guys that had known each other um, and wrestled before. Because I I read the wrestling magazines, I knew that they had wrestled each other before. No one else thought that everyone else thought this was the <laughs> first time they'd seen each other. Because Pedro got it, Angelo got in Pedro's face and was pointing his finger in his cheek, like really get him close. And Pedro just stood there. And then Angelo walked away. And then Pedro spun him around. And then Pedro put his finger in Angelo's cheek and would start like twisting it like that. Not poking at him, but he would just point it doing this. And twisting right in his cheek. And the fans went nuts. It's like, oh my God, how can you do that to Angelo Mosca and not fight it off? But um, I digest. Uh, rest in peace, the great King Kong, Angelo Mosca. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Look, Amber looks thrilled to be there. Uh, follow me on Twitter, all social media platforms, DanLaw83. On YouTube, watch the highlights, all the highlights from this channel on Twitch, YouTube.com slash DanLaw83. Uh, on your favorite podcast aggregator app on any smartphone that you have if you go to the podcast app type in hic talk radio network subscribe follow tell all your friends tell your dead relatives tell everybody listen the hic talk radio network encompass all uh the lakers can get bent jay um just kidding no i'm not kidding i'm actually not kidding you you guys have plenty of championships i really don't care um all respect to lebron james uh, what the fuck the rest of you? <laughs> F the Lakers. <laughs> F the Lakers. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, baby. Yeah, By the way, yeah. Ben Stiller, nobody spells it with the number six E R S. Stop it. Good night, everybody. <laughs>